Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone, this is your host Kelly from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Well, it's the last story of 2019. We can hardly believe it. Today's story was shared in Jackson, Mississippi. And as we approach Christmas and get ready to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, we thought today's story was so timely and so perfect. Emily shares about her struggle to long for heaven. And I'm sure we can all relate to this. When we're on this earth and we get these glimpses of heaven, which is just one of the blessings of knowing Christ, we start to pursue people or possessions or dreams as if they can satisfy us in a way that that nothing can on this earth. And so for Emily, it took two difficult diagnoses or diagnoses, um, one for her son, um, which is Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and for herself, ulcerative colitis. And with these two diagnoses, Emily finally reached a place where she does long for heaven and she's able to have that eternal perspective, um, knowing that one day her son can run into the arms of Jesus and be made whole. And that is true for all of us. And so this is just a beautiful story to prepare our hearts for Christmas and help us focus on what we one day will experience. Here's Emily. Um, I can't believe it's finally time to be here. I haven't been anticipating this for a while. And I, those of y'all that know me, know that I am that laid back. I'm not a big worrier. I'm definitely not a planner. Um, I'm that creative brain, daydream, daydreamer who just thinks that I can just wing things. Um, I'm a talker, so I can usually just kind of talk my way through these things. But not with this. I have been stressed out, uptight, um, you know, having a hard time sleeping because I have been anticipating this so much. So I... You should see my little station at home with all my notes. Like I have all these, had all these papers spread out and writing things and then, you know, throwing that to the side because that wasn't working. And um, I honestly do not know who this person is. In fact, my husband is like, who are you? Because this is not you to be worried about this and to be uh, um, anticipating this and working on this for, for, you know, a few weeks leading up to that because normally I'm a day before girl, but um, anyway, I love connecting with women. I love, I love this ministry. I love, um, so much of just how much I have gleaned from, from women speaking and listening to these podcasts. And I'm passionate about my story. And so I think that's why I was putting so much into this to prepare because I wanted y'all to be impacted by my story like I have. So 
Um, here I am. I am Emily Gregory. Um, I'm married to Paul. We have three children. Mary Addison is 17, Bo is 14, and Amelia is 13. Um, we have lived here in Mississippi for nine years. What was supposed to be just two to three years has turned into nine. Um, and we, we love it here. Um, but I'm a Birmingham girl. I grew up in Birmingham. Paul and I got married in Birmingham. Had our three children in Birmingham. Um, lived there for 12 years before moving here. Um, my childhood was great. I had, um, I had two wonderful parents three sisters that I'm super close to, one of them here, um, and really no stress, no struggles, no hardships, no sickness, no trauma growing up. It was just easy and good. Um, I went to Ole Miss, and that's where I met Paul. Um, my freshman year, life was just still really easy and good. I forgot to record that. Um, so life was still really easy and good. Um, I was growing spiritually. I love the Lord. I um, just was just plugging along. Um, and like I said, I'm not a worrier. Um, I, it's just not in my genetic makeup um, to worry. I'm not really one of those people that's just going to worry about something just to worry. I'm not one of those that's like looking for things to worry about. Um, sometimes I need a little bit more of that. And so sometimes I'll tell myself, maybe I should be worried about something. So I'll find something to worry about, but then I start daydreaming and then I'm supposed to be worried. So then I move on. Um, so, but my senior year in college, I found myself in a place in a season of worry. And it was so unusual for me. Um, and it, it was a fear that came over me, and it was a fear of eternity and the forever and ever. And I knew that I was a believer, and I knew where I was going. So it wasn't that I was fearing not knowing where I was going. I knew where I was going. But <coughs> excuse me, this daydreaming, creative brain girl wanted to be able to imagine it, and I wanted to know what it was going to be like, and I couldn't. And it was really like it I just had a lot of fear I think I just knew that it that the it was the inevitable because death is the inevitable and I knew I was going there and it just overwhelmed me I think living there in heaven and worshiping the Lord forever and ever was overwhelming to me and it in a way it made me tired to think about just that it would just be never ending I couldn't picture it being worthy and great enough to be something that I wouldn't get tired of. And that's just my raw honesty. That is where I was. Um, I just didn't trust that it could be good enough to replace what I had on this earth because life was just so good. And so there I was. I was like, Lord, I've got everybody that I love. I've got this this God that I'm going to marry, life is good. Can't we just keep rocking and rolling like this? Like, why, why do, why do I have to give this up? And so, I never developed a piece about it. It was just kind of one of those things where I, I just had to set it aside. I just had to tuck it away because I was like, okay, I'm never going to understand it. I have to just trust, and I got to tuck this away. And so that's what I did. And that's not to say it didn't creep back out. At different points, you know, where I would feel anxious. I mean, I had been losing sleep over it. Um, it did. It 
I was able to tuck it away to where it didn't overtake me like it did at that time, but it was still there. I never, I never grew to understand what eternity was going to look like. Um, so I stuffed that away. Um, so Paul and I got married and we had three kids. Our oldest was three and our second one had just had his one-year-old birthday when we had our third. So life was crazy. We were physically exhausted. Um, and we just thought, let's just get through these baby years and life will be good. It'll be so much easier when we get through these baby years. Um, but a year later, Bo, our son was two and we started to have concerns over his, he had some low muscle tone, some muscle weakness. We, we, so we found ourselves in a neurologist's office due to our concerns. And all arrows at that point were pointing towards a form of muscular dystrophy called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, we were shocked and we were devastated because we just did not expect that. You know, our beautiful boy um, who just had very mild symptoms um, for those arrows to be pointed to that. So we were thrown into a six-week wait as we waited on genetic test results um, that would give us a definitive diagnosis. So that's what we did. We waited. Um, The stress was debilitating um, and intense, and so much so that I became physically sick. Um, What started out as just IBS, because what mama wouldn't have that with that kind of news, um, quickly escalated to fever. Um, I was in the bed. I was wasting away, and I could not take care of my children. And this went on for five weeks of our six-week wait. Um, At the five-week mark, I had a colonoscopy. Um, The doctor came out from the colonoscopy, and he looked at my husband, and he said, your wife is very sick. She, um, her, I'm about 100% positive that she has ulcerative colitis, which is, inflammatory bowel disease, and her colon is the worst-looking colon I've ever seen in my career. Um, And she is probably not going to be able to live with that colon for very long. Um, She's probably going to have to have surgery to remove it. Um, He said, we're going to try to get her into remission, but this is an autoimmune disease that is full of flare-ups and remission, flare-ups and remission. Um, So sent me home with a bunch of medicine. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you all how that ended. Um, I didn't, was not able to keep my colon for very long. I've lived five years with the, with the sickness. Um, I was really sick and I just, and I was taking care of these three children and, you know, it was not an easy five years. Um, and I stayed in, in flare ups more than I did in remission. And so I had the major surgery. It's two surgeries, um, to remove all five feet of my colon. Um, and you can live without a colon. Who knew? But I'm here to tell you, it's not normal, but I'm not normal either. So um, I don't have a colon, and I'm, you know, I'm just thankful I survived the surgery, and I'm on the other side, and I'm not sick anymore. So um, so going back to um, when I was diagnosed, literally the next day, we received a, the base diagnosis. The neurologist called and um, got the genetic test results, and he indeed does, did, does have Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, Without going into too many details about what that disease is, because I could spend the whole time just talking about that alone, um, it is a muscle-wasting disease. 
and there is no cure, and it is devastating. Um, so, um, it's painful and excruciating as a mama and a daddy. Um, it's tough, but um, you know we could look back on that six week wait while we were waiting. Um, the sweetness of the Lord during that six weeks, um, He put us on that road towards acceptance. And as much as we wanted to be on that train of denial, we would hop on that train and the Lord would take us off and put us back on that road towards acceptance. Um, I cried out to the Lord so many times during that six weeks and just begged and pleaded Him to not let it be that. And I was overcome um, by a firm no from the Lord. And it wasn't a no of, I'm an angry and mean God, so I'm not going to take this away. Or it wasn't a no of, I do not love Bo enough to take this away. It wasn't a no of, y'all are being punished for something, and so therefore I'm not taking this away. That's not how God works. It was a no. It was a firm and gentle no. It was a no that told me, I'm going to love you through this. And I'm going to sustain you. And I'm going to give you what you need every day. And I love your son more than you love him. And I have not forsaken him. I have not forgotten him. And I have not made a mistake with this. Because I am God. And that was all that I needed to know. Doesn't mean the diagnosis didn't hurt. I mean, it's it's awful. Um, we didn't have to like it, and we don't have to be okay with it. It's okay if we hate it. But we had to accept it. And the Lord put us on that road during that six-week wait. And had we stayed on that denial train, it would have been a thousand times harder to accept it. And I'm just thankful that he walked with us during that six weeks. So, how is Bo doing now? Um, he's 14. Um, he is doing way better than we expected. That really, you know, a lot of 14-year-old boys are doing at this point. He's doing better. He's a cute kid. Um, he is a lovable stinker, is what we call him. Um, he is very spirited. Um he is very impulsive, um, and he has very big ideas. Those of y'all here that know him, you know what I'm talking about. And there may or may not be a little girl's pink moped at the bottom of the reunion lake just because he felt like putting it in there. But it was dead on the side, on the sidewalk. It had been there for two weeks. So it's in the bottom of the lake. So um, hopefully... If anybody ends up listening to this, no, no, you know, but we will replace it. Uh, but he is an extremely funny kid. Um, he is he is very popular because he makes himself known wherever he goes. Um, about thirty percent of boys that have Duchenne it affects them mentally. Bo has a pretty extreme ADHD, um, a very significant cognitive delay. 
learning disabilities. He's socially immature. Um, he takes steroids so that has slowed his growth down. And so when you look at him, you just think he's just a, a cute little eight-year-old kid, but he's 14. But if you don't know that he's 14, you just talk to him and you just think he's you know, around that age. Um, he's in the special needs class at school. Um, so he's able to learn at his own rate, which we are so thankful. And he has his, his best little buddies in there. So he's got a great little setup. Um, but like I said, he takes steroids. I don't know how familiar you are with what steroids do to your mood. Um, I can tell you firsthand, I was on them uh, for a high dose for four months after I was diagnosed and I was a bear. Um, I was irritable. I was agitated. I was just mad and I felt like I was going to lose it at any minute. That's the way he feels on a daily basis. Um, he's been on them since he was four. Um, thankfully we have over time eventually, um, found some medicines to sort of counteract some of those behaviors that, that are a result of steroids. And that has not been an easy road to find those. Um, and but we have we have been through the, you know trying every medicine under the sun. You know a medicine doesn't work when your child suddenly has an urge to lick everything in sight, and you're a germaphobe, and he's licking doorknobs and shopping carts and licking people. Um, so when you have that urge to touch your tongue to things, you know that a medicine's not working. So we have been through so many different medicines that um, we're thankful. That, that there are really good medicines out there that can sort of help him be a happier kid. Um, so Bo has a very strong will. He was born this way. Um, James Dobson read the strong will child about Bo. I mean, and then, and then you throw steroids on top of that, and he's about five strong will kids wrapped into one. Um, he is a hard kid. Um, I... You know, over the years, before we were able to find these other medicines for him, I would go to his neuromuscular disease doctor and just, you know, Paul and I were just worn out. And, you know, I would just, we were just weary and I was just like, we're exhausted. You know, surely there's got to be something, some research out there, something, some kind of therapy, something. We're exhausted. His, his, you know, he can wear you down and exhausted second and he will fight you to the end and that is the way Bo Gregory operates um but his doctor would look at me and he said Emily you need to be thankful you need to be thankful for that strong will because it's what's going to keep him going for longer and he is not going to give in to the disease because of that strong will and it's so true he's still blowing and going he has no plans of slowing down anytime soon because that strong will and we are thankful. But that does not mean that we're thankful every day um, for that. Um, you know, he's decided our neighbor's front door needed to be white, and it was a beautifully stained wooden front door. And in an instant, it was painted white um, because Bo was adamant that he wanted it to be white. Um, so they, on those days, it's very thankful. I mean, very hard to be thankful for his strong will. Um, but when you look at where he is now, we, um, we have to be thankful. Um, his, because of his cognitive delay, his mental capacity, um, he doesn't have the mental capacity to ask questions about 
what he has. He knows he has something and he knows his legs are tired. He knows he hears us talking about it. But as far as that question of what's going to happen to me, um, he doesn't ask that. He doesn't Google it. He doesn't know to do that. I think his brain doesn't work that way. It's hard to give in to the inevitable when you don't know what the inevitable is. And Bo doesn't know what the inevitable is. So there's nothing to give in to. And if he had asked those questions and we had said, well, we'll tell him when he asks. But he hasn't asked. And so now we can see the blessing of that. And it wasn't an intentional thing. It was just waiting till he was ready and now we're seeing that he's still blowing and going. And it's sweet of the Lord to put that strong will and that cognitive delay as hard as he is. Those things are there for a reason. And while he completely exhausts us, his, he is not exa- as exhausted by his missile weakness as he should be because of that. And we just have to be thankful. Um, so... Surely this diagnosis has to change me. And, you know, I have a new perspective. So what is my perspective on life now? Um, Remember my senior year in college um, and I stuck that fear away? Well, very quickly, the Lord started bringing that back out. And it wasn't a fear and it wasn't an anxiety. But what he brought it back out as was perspective. And I don't have to understand what eternity is going to look like. But now I know that I want it because this life is way too hard. Now I know that I want something more than what this life can give me. From the moment of Bo's diagnosis, the, literally the only comfort that I could cling to was the day when he can run into the arms of Jesus. And he's not weary. And he's not struggling. And that's a beautiful day when he can be made whole. He can't do all the boy stuff. You know, he, he, he wants to be a full boy so badly, and he can't. He can ride his four-wheeler. He can ride his dirt bike. He can hunt. He can still be the biggest almost football fan there ever was. But he can't be a full boy. And so the day that he can be a full boy. But it's not just being a full boy. It is him being whole in the Lord and being what he was designed to be is the most glorious thing. And when you can long for that for your children, it is the greatest gift. And as I'm longing for that for him, I'm longing for it for myself. And I could not make myself long for that all those years ago. I couldn't. And it takes realizing that you will never be satisfied on this side of heaven, ever. So how do I live now in light of this perspective? I mean, I'm, I still, I, I, I can be focused and looking heavenward, but I still have to be a mom. I'm still here. And I can't just let things fall apart. I mean, I have to be a wife and I have to be a mom. So what do I do? And I wish so badly 
that I can say that I handle this well and that I bridge these two things together, perspective and life together, but I don't. I am that crazy mom. I still am. I obsess over the frivolous things that are not eternal. I can tell you that my days are completely full of my goal and all the things I'm going to manipulate, all the circumstances and the people that I need to manipulate so that my goal can come through for me so that I can be satisfied. We have two beautiful, sweet, well-rounded, successful girls, 17 and 13. This crazy mom thinks that their successes are a reflection on me. And I'm still making sure that everybody only sees the good so that I can look my best because I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to satisfy me. And I'm still not satisfied and content. And I still do it every day. Why do I keep doing the things that I hate, the things that are not working, but I still do? And you know why I do it? Because I'm a sinner. And I can tell y'all right now that I'm the biggest sinner in this room. And I am the most selfish person in this room. And I am the most broken in this room. And I want this perspective so bad to change me. But my sin keeps getting in the way. And I just keep doing it. But it's that sweet voice of the Lord reminding me of how much bigger eternity is. And that I will never be satisfied this side of heaven. And so maybe one day I'll be a little bit less of a crazy mom. I don't know. I hope. But at this rate, things aren't going very well. (laughs) So how do I handle this load emotionally? You know, people ask us that all the time. How do you handle that? How do you put one foot in front of the other? And the bottom line is, I, I don't. I am not handling this well. And the whole saying of God only gives you what you can handle is so false. He gives us absolutely what we cannot handle because I'm here to say he has given me what I cannot handle. I flat out cannot handle this, period. There is nothing in me that can handle this. And just like during my, the six-week wait when the Lord told me no, He was shouting loud and clear, I'm going to give you what you need, I promise. And he has. But I'm not, but if it was up to me, I mean, the Lord would, if he gave us what we could handle, I would never need him, ever. We would be able to do it all in our own strength, so why would the Lord even exist? And so he gives us what we can't handle. But I don't handle this well. I am not a champion mom. And nobody needs to model themselves after me if you go through hard stuff because I am failing at this. I'm a broken mom with moments of intense anger and sadness. My tears are always right here. And all it takes is I hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. And all it takes is just one little thing and it, the, the floodgates come. And I, you know, you, you won't see me for a few days. Um, but I try, I try to keep it right here. Because I still got a function. Hi, friends. I wanted to take a moment to mention Storytellers podcast sponsor for today, Holland and Birch. Holland and Birch is a Southern boho jewelry maker that has based their business on stories. And as a matter of fact, you might have heard Suzanne Jones, their founder and owner, share her story last week in episode 69. 
You can go visit hollandandbirch.com to see why their motto is purchase with a purpose. You can grab some jewelry for yourself or a loved one while giving back through their fundraisers tab. Definitely go check out their one-of-a-kind earrings, cuffs, bracelets, and necklaces for a perfect holiday gift or something to celebrate the new year. And already we have seen um, such a great response to her jewelry, and so we appreciate all of you supporting Suzanne and her business. Go visit hollandandbirch.com. The link is in our show notes and on our website, but it's also H-O-L-L-A-N-D-A-N-D-B-I-R-C-H.com. Visit hollandandbirch.com. And now back to Emily. I hate Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I hate it. And I am mad that my child has this. There is nothing in me that celebrates this disease. I could spend my days asking why. And I could also spend my days say, asking and saying, why? why? This is not fair. This is not fair. Why is life not fair? But it doesn't get me anywhere. Trust me, I've tried. I just, I don't get anywhere when I do that. I know that the cards that I've been dealt and the cards that Bo's been dealt and that my family has been dealt, they stink. But you know it is so much worse. Knowing that I'm a sinner and that I deserve worse than this. Because of my son, I deserve, I, I deserve for all three of my children to be sick. I don't even deserve children. I don't even deserve this wonderful husband of mine that loves me. I deserve to be on my deathbed, living in filth. I deserve death. I deserve hell because of my son. But because of the blood of Jesus, he has washed me clean. And so I haven't gotten what I deserved. I I deserve worse, and he has spared me. And so what what I'm dealing with right now is beautiful in comparison to what I deserve. And I have to celebrate in that. And so that's what I cling to. I cling to his goodness. So a lot of people ask how our girls are doing. Um, and without, you know, I don't want to, you know, this is my story, and so it's, you know, I'm not, I don't want to share their story, but how they're impacted by this, it impacts me. Um, they, years ago, um, we, we were sort of seeing some some negativity and just some bitterness and resentment towards Bo, um, and they, because they didn't know, um, they know, at the, they knew at the time what Bo knows, um, And we started to see that they were really being held captive to not knowing the truth. Saying, you know, we parent him differently. We have different expectations for him than we do our girls. When you have a special needs child, you you have to let a lot of things go. You got to show a lot of grace because you learn early on that you cannot fix them and you cannot change them, and you choose one thing at a time to work on. And and then most of the time, you choose that one thing. Still doesn't work. Um, you still can't fix even that one thing. Um, but you know, Bo demands a lot of attention, and we—it's um, hard, you know, because we want to be able to give our girls the same amount of attention. And but he—he—he he, he takes a lot of it. Um, we have—we expect a lot more from our girls, and we're you know firm with them, and 
Um, we discipline them, and but yet they're looking at Beau going, why'd you just let them get away with that? You don't let us get away with this. And so it was just hard for them. And so we realized how captive they were um, to not understanding. And so through some wise counsel, we knew um, that we were told that the truth would set them free. And so we, at that point, set them down um, and told them the truth. And it was the hardest conversation we've ever had to have. And they were devastated, as you can imagine. They loved their brother with a fierce love. And they were devastated. Um, But you could see the chains coming off of them. They felt free. They felt free to love Bo when they couldn't love him because they couldn't understand. And so those chains, it it was pretty immediate that we saw that freedom in them. But the most beautiful part of the whole thing is that they get to have the perspective that I have and that Paul has. They get to have that as teenage girls. They get to have that. They're walking through a life that is hard, and they know that there's so much more. So their world is hard, and they experience pain on a daily basis. They know that there is glory to come. They're forced into a situation of knowing that their wholeness and fullness doesn't come from their life's successes. They can be as successful as they want to be. They can, they can have the best day and accomplish everything they want. They can be viewed by their peers as everything. And they can walk into our house all high and mighty that they're going to quickly be reminded when they walk in and they see their brother. They are quickly reminded that they will never be satisfied this side of heaven, ever. And that they will get to be whole and full one day, just like their brother. I think kids probably don't understand our girls. And that, that you know, they've always had a lot of friends and always been accepted. And um, I don't, it doesn't affect them socially, but I think Kids probably don't understand them um, because there's just more to them. And it's not, I'm not up here saying there's more to my kids than there are to yours. I'm not saying that. (laughs) But what that perspective does to a teenage girl just is flat out going to put you in a different place. And we have to celebrate. We have to celebrate those things. I mean, 12 years ago, I would have never imagined that I could be here talking about the goodness of the Lord, ever. Through this death sentence, I thought that this would be my identity. I thought it was going to be Bo's identity. I thought it was going to be my family's identity. I thought that our life would have very little joy, very little happiness, and that I would be broken and devastated all the time, and I thought that I would be angry and bitter all the time. I thought that I would spend every day trying to get rid of this disease. But little did I know that I would find rest in this place and that I would find joy in this place. I had no idea. No idea that God would show up and show out like he has. The only way at that time that I thought that God could show up and show out would be to take the disease away. And, I, you know, that's the only way I thought he could really show up. But he chose not to. And so we're here. And he has done mighty and glorious things. 
through this life that I would have never chosen for myself or for my child, ever. And I also had no idea that he would bring me full circle and bring me to a place of longing for heaven, ever. I thought I would just live the rest of my life not having that longing. I knew I was going there, but I thought I'd live the rest of my life not having that longing. And y'all, to have that longing here on this earth, y'all, it's incredible. It is incredible, and it is the most beautiful perspective that I could ever dream of having, and it is from the Lord. It is not of me, because I could not have put myself there. So the verse, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, is what has carried me through so many hard days. Um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. His love never ceases, and his mercies are new every morning. And the Lord is my portion. He has given me exactly what I've needed to make it through every day. Every day that is not pretty, but he gives me what I need. So I'm going to end with um, the lyrics to He Giveth More Grace by Annie J. Flint. It's an old hymn. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His his power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Thanks for joining us today. One of the beautiful parts of Emily's story was just her honesty and her day-to-day life struggles. And it is so easy to think that if we pray hard enough or we have strong enough faith, that life's easy and that we won't um, struggle. And that's just not the case. What Jesus promises us is that we will have struggles and we will have trials, but that He is with us all along the way and He provides what we need. And what I've been learning is that in that struggle, that daily surrendering of all that we long for, we hope and dream for, and then all that that plagues us, our fears and our anxieties, when we lay that at the feet of Jesus, there's this beautiful process that takes place in our hearts as we begin to trust Jesus more and more, and as He cultivates in us a deeper maturity and understanding of His love. Friends, we want to wish each and every one of you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We will be back in a few weeks. We'll start back on January 8th with the first story of 2020. And in the meantime, be sure to follow Storytellers Live on social media for the latest news and announcements. That's also where you can find out about our local gatherings and when the next one will be happening in your area. You can go to our website, storytellerslive.org. Uh, to get information and you can also sign up for our newsletter so we appreciate you and we thank you for choosing to listen to storytellers live we hope you'll join us again soon